Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Jay, for your work with the uh, Gideons. Camp Shamanah has greatly benefited uh, from the Gideons. That's where we get most of our Spanish New Testaments and even our Chinese English uh, Bibles we get from there as well. Uh, my name is Herb Lundquist. I live and work out at Camp Shamanah. I've been there for a while, been part of this congregation for a long time, but often am on the road, so don't get to be here. But today I get to be here. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapters 10 and 11. If you want to find those uh, while you're doing that, oh, I also wanted to say thank you uh, to, to the worship team. Uh, Jody, thank you for involving young men like, well, Adam and Corey, too. But the young men, uh, thank you for involving them. That's always a, a good camp director thing uh, to, to see. Um, let me give you a quick update on Shamanon Ministries. Uh, we are going full bore. It's amazing. Even last year in the midst of COVID, with all the restrictions, we were able to do 2,000 campers at Camp Shamanon uh, last summer. 238 of them trusted Christ as their savior. So yeah, it was a valuable summer. Um, and this summer, uh, 2019 was our record year. 2020, of course, we had restrictions. 2019 was our record year. And right now, both at Chaminade and Rock Ridge, we're running about 115% ahead of that. So we've got a lot of work to do. In fact, the seniors from this church have come and helped uh, do a lot of that. Uh, uh, Wes uh, organizes a whole bunch of those guys and they come out and uh, build stuff for us. I think right now they're building like 30 bunk beds because I need 60 more beds uh, to accommodate a whole bunch of the growth that's going on. So we, we thank those guys for that. You know, I should make uh, one other uh, uh, shout out. Uh, this morning's sermon is brought to you by the interns of Camp Shamanah. <laughs> I, uh, I I was told uh, you know what what passage you know to to kind of hone in on and and so at a, a Friday morning meeting I sat down with the interns and we worked through it so anything of heresy that is said today you can blame them if it's good I'll, I'll take the credit for that so anyways thank you to all of those guys we love this church been part of it for a long long time. Um, I think probably Pastor Rick will be preaching on the triumphal entry as we lead up to Easter. I assume he will. Uh, I was asked to speak about the things that kind of uh, lead up to that. Uh, uh, Brent was on the phone with Pastor Rick this morning in some airport as they're traveling back. Brent told him that, you know, or with her speaking today, he wanted to feel a little more camp. So he did start a bonfire in the middle of the sanctuary and roasted a hog. Uh, so when he comes back, if you would all just go with that, tell him that, oh, the hog roast was amazing, and we probably need to do more of that on a Sunday morning. So he might be panicking somewhere right now. I'm not sure. Uh, but as I said, I'm sure he'll be speaking about the triumphal entry as we enter this Easter season. Easter is my absolute favorite holiday. Easter is what it is all about. My second favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, for obvious reasons. Uh, there's a gal in our office who her favorite holiday of all holidays, her favorite is President's Day. And we, 
President's Day. She says, listen, you get the day off. There's no special meals that have to be made. There's no gifts that have to be bought. The house doesn't have to be cleaned up and no relatives coming. <laughs> well, my favorite is Easter. And while it won't be the primary passage that we'll be looking at, I do want to read and refresh our memory about the triumphal entry in Mark chapter 11, uh, beginning in the first verse. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. Just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell them the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. And they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the ground while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, you know that passage, and it would be fun to preach on that, the, the incredible significance of everything that's going on there. The fact that Jesus is riding on a donkey. The fact that it is Lamb Selection Day when he's coming into Jerusalem, and the importance of the palm branches and the Day of Atonement coming. Uh, would love to look at all of those events, but we're going to be looking at the events leading up to that. But I do want to note that the triumphal entry is in all four Gospels. It's important. It's a big deal. It is in all four Gospels, as it should be. In the uh, chapter 10, we find something else that is in all four Gospels. In chapter 10, uh, starting with verse 32, <clears throat> really our text for today. It says they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. That paragraph is in all four Gospels. Now, just... Just to, again, we're going to have to do some mechanics here first, just to gather all the pieces of the puzzle here. Uh, this is in all four Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels, it occurs in this order. Jesus gives them this instruction, and then they have the triumphal entry. In John, in the Gospel of John, it comes after the triumphal entry. Now, there's a reason for that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels. Synoptic meaning it's the, it's the synopsis, it's the summary of the life of Jesus. And so they're going pretty much chronologically. 
John, on the other hand, is a theological gospel, and he's giving, here's what Jesus taught on this, and here's what Jesus taught on this, and here's what Jesus taught on this. And so sometimes it's out of order, and, and that's where John puts it. But again, it's in all four gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke also record, looking at even before that, they, they record the incident with uh, the little children coming to Jesus. You remember that? They're coming to Jesus. Disciples are saying, no, 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 no. Don't bother the master. And Jesus says, no, no, let them come. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke also in, in, include um, this. Uh, uh, no, maybe it's just Matthew and Luke. The story about uh, uh, the rich young ruler. Where he comes, Jesus gives him some additional instruction. So there's a lot going on. One more mechanical thing that we need to look at. When in Matthew and Mark, just before the triumphal entry, Jesus heals a blind man. And again, you know that story, blind Bartimaeus. Jesus is coming by, he yells out and they bring him to Jesus, and, and Jesus heals him. Those of you that are looking at the parallel passages, you've looked at Matthew then, and you've seen, well, wait a minute. Matthew says there were two blind guys. Mark only records one and his name. Wait a minute. Are there mistakes in our New Testament? Oh my goodness, if there's mistakes like that, what else might be a mistake in there? And there are some people that have been tripped up over that. I think it makes tons of logical sense. Um, if I were to tell you that tomorrow I'm headed to Arizona, getting on a plane, headed to Arizona, going to be working with some camps down there. That is true. I have not lied to you. I just didn't give you all the details. Debbie and I are headed to Arizona. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, uh, Mark gives us his name. Uh, I suspect, now th this is her, this is not gospel. I suspect that Bartimaeus became part of the early church. He received his sight, this miraculous healing, and he hung out with the disciples and became part of this growing kingdom. And, and so, you know, they would obviously be talking about him. Uh, I would also point out that Matthew is a tax collector. Matthew knows a thing or two about numbers and accuracy. And actually, in the story about Legion, you know, when Jesus crosses the lake and, and Legion comes running down to him, the guy with all the demons, Matthew says there were Two of them. See, Matthew was concerned about numbers and accuracy. Mark, which is one of the reasons it's my favorite gospel, Mark just gets to the point. I'm not going to explain everything here. Here's the high points, and you just hit the high points. Well, in my Bible, Mark is only 17 pages. That's one of the reasons it's my favorite gospel, too. It's short and quick to read. So we got all this stuff going on. Uh, John throws in the story about Zacchaeus uh, up in the tree there. But there's something else that Mark and Matthew record that's really a little baffling to me. 
in chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Have you ever gotten that question before? If you work with kids, you've gotten that question. Okay, 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 Herb, um, look, I, I, I want to ask something, but don't tell anybody else. That's exactly what's going on with James and John here. Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you, they, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Foolish children. Jesus said to them, Yeah, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right and my left hand is not for me to grant. These pieces, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Duh. Can you imagine that confrontation as that word gets out? What? What? Actually, I think it's really kind of fun. Matthew includes, again, Matthew being more detailed, Matthew includes that their mother was there. <laughs> Tell you what, that's even more common. Picture this wonderful Jewish mother. So Jesus, when your kingdom comes, how about my boys? <laughs> when the ten heard about this, they became indignant. This is heard. This is not gospel. I think they became indignant because they were going to do that. James and John beat him with a punch. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become the greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's so much going on. But here's my huge question. Go back to what Jesus told them. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the synagogue officials. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles and I will be whipped. I'll be flogged. I'll be spit on. And they're going to kill me. And then I'll rise three days later. Now look at your look at your passage there. Probably in your Bible, there's a little heading to that paragraph. It shows where else in Scripture in the Gospels that same thing is said. But it probably says in the paragraph heading in your Bible, it probably said, Jesus predicts his death again. So I looked up all the agains. And it's several times Jesus says, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the officials. I'm going to be 
tortured, I'm going to be killed, and I will rise from the dead. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be killed. We're going to rise. I'm going to rise from the dead. This is not the first time Jesus has told them this. And almost in the exact same words, he's already told them this. Now, here's what I want you to look for. Look in chapter 10. You see that paragraph. Now, just scan it quickly and tell me what the disciples' response was. Do you see it? Yeah, I don't either. It's like, wait, what? Wait, Jesus has just told you I'm going to be killed. And their response is, so when your kingdom comes, get to the right left. Uh, how could they not have a response to this? How on earth could they have missed the, import, the most important part of our faith. They completely have no response to it. I'm not 100% sure. I, I, I've got some ideas. And we've scanned it all so fast. I hope, I hope your brain is spinning a little bit. I think maybe that's one possibility. So much is coming at the disciples so fast. Now, I, I generally have a lot of grace for the disciples. We, we like to harp on those guys. Oh, how could they have been so dumb? Well, they could have been so dumb because they didn't have the whole story. You and I do. They were in the midst of this unfolding story. But come on, how could they have missed this? And maybe it's just because there's so much coming at them so fast. There's little children coming to Jesus and, and they're trying to keep them away. And Jesus says, no, 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 let them come because this is what my kingdom is like. Uh, uh, wait, you're going to have a kingdom of little kids? I, I don't understand. And, and, and then they, they, they have the rich young ruler story that, that comes. Um, this, this rich young ruler comes and he's certainly uh, sincere, it looks like. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep all of the commands of what's written in the Old Testament. And he lists them off. And he says, and I've kept all of those since my youth. And then Jesus says, great. Sell everything you got and give it to the poor. And the scriptures say that the man went away sad. And then Jesus gathers his disciples together and they're scratching their heads. He goes, now wait a minute, Jesus. If he can't get into the kingdom, nobody can. And Jesus said, yep. <laughs> Jesus said, yeah, in fact, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible, he tells them. And they've got to be scratching their heads. Um, even in the triumphal entry, this all sounds so wonderful and the great things that are going on, and yet Jesus seems to be talking about this death thing. Um, doesn't make any sense at all. So maybe they were just overwhelmed with so much stuff coming. I think another possibility is that they got distracted by the miracle. I mean, can you imagine that? You got to see two guys born blind getting their sight back. Has anyone ever seen that? Can you imagine what that would be like? I can see 
how they would get tied up in that. I've spoken here before and shared with you many of the miracles that we've gotten to see. Well, last Friday night, uh, just two nights ago here, I got to speak with a whole bunch of uh, uh, Chinese students that are studying here in the United States. And I got to share with them some of the miracles that we have seen in their country. About tractors showing up in the middle of the grasslands, pulling us out of the mud and disappearing. About angels speaking. About Chinese government officials speaking English when they don't know any English. And I tell you what, those are fun stories to tell. They're amazing. That and so many other uh, miracle stories, they are so fun to tell. But I'm sometimes afraid that we get wrapped up in the miracle and we miss the miracle worker behind it. And maybe that's what's going on with the disciples. Hey, did you see what happened? That was amazing. Yeah, no, I know this guy. He's been blind since birth and, 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 and now he can see. They got wrapped up in that and maybe missed the miracle. I can understand that. But I think the episode with James and John explains it the best to me. Jesus, when your kingdom comes, Jesus, we just, the whole crowd was shouting about that. Blessed is he who comes to establish our kingdom of David. A kingdom. A kingdom, well, the only kind of kingdom that they ever had seen, that they knew anything about, was what? A kingdom has a king. And, and, and a kingdom has rulers and officials. And a kingdom has power. And a kingdom has wealth. And a kingdom has prestige. I think that's the only thing that they can grasp. That's what's in their mind. And by the way, Jesus, when you come to set up your kingdom, boy, we'd really like to be some of the noblemen and, and have those positions of power and authority. They were expecting that Israel would be on top again. And it had been so long. We are going to kick the Romans out finally and we will be in charge again like the way it's supposed to be. And I think that thinking is what caused them to miss these strange things Jesus was saying. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. And I'll rise in three days. Now I have to say this ever so gently. I'm afraid that the church of God is there again. I'm afraid that we're more concerned about earthly kingdoms than we are about the kingdom of God. The Barner Research Company, they're the Christian version of uh, the Gallup. Barner Research does amazing stuff. They're good people. They do fantastic research. They did some research recently where they surveyed non-churchgoers. Okay? So non-believers, people who just don't go to church at all. And they asked them what evangelical meant. The vast majority of them. 
thought it was a political party. There are Democrats, there are Republicans. Let me think now. Oh, there's the independents, there's evangelicals, there's the Green Party, and there's the legalized marijuana party. No concept at all that it was a theological term. No, isn't that, isn't that one of the boxes I can check on a ballot, I think? Yeah, yeah, Democrats, Republicans, evangelicals, yeah. They don't know it's a theological term. Evangelical comes from the Greek evangel, meaning good news. Good news. We are the Evangelical Free Church of America. We are the Good News Independent Church of America. Not a political party. But why would people think that? Why does the non-Christian world think that way? Well, maybe you've given them good cause to. Forgive me. But do my friends know more about my political preference than they do about my preference for Jesus? And if they do, shame on me. Do my friends know more about how I feel about masks or vaccinations than I do about how I feel about Jesus? Then shame on me. We've made some mistakes as believers. I, don't get me wrong. I want a government that supports Christian positions. I really, really do. I have written more letters to all of my political leaders from our county on up in the last few years than I have the rest of my life before that. I have left more voice messages for the president. Did you know you can do that? You Google it, you know, White House phone number, and there's an 800 number, and you can call and express your opinions. I have a lot. I wonder if they almost think, oh, it's that herb guy from Minnesota again. I want a government that supports Christian activity and Christian principles. But I don't require it of them. Why would I? Most of them have no idea about Jesus. Somehow we've made politics more important than it should be. And you know what? It is very, very possible to lead a fulfilled, wonderful Christian life in a dictatorship. I know. I've got lots of friends in China. And right now they are living under probably the worst Communist Party rule since Chairman Mao. It's getting tough. It's getting tight. It's getting hard. And you know what? The church in China is growing. Yeah. I, I, I've got to be very, very careful here. I understand. But compared to the gospel, the evangel, the good news of Jesus, compared to that, who my president is makes no difference. 
because I need to be about the gospel. And somehow we've demanded our rights as Christians. And you know what? I don't have any rights. I don't. You know what? Uh, if, if you want to read a fun book, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. It's a little book. You can read it in a short amount of time. It's about a whole bunch of people in hell that take a bus trip up to heaven. And while they're up there, one of the guys argues with an angel, but I've got my rights. And the angel says, oh, no, 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 it's not as bad as that. Because by rights, what do you deserve? Hell? No, 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 you don't get your rights. You get Jesus. We've got all sorts of privileges. The fact that we're tax exempt, you know that? Uh, at camp, we deal with that about every 10 years. Your tax ex property tax exemption comes from your county. Okay, it's applied by the state, but it comes from your county. And about every 10 years, our county gets uppity and they want to take away our property tax uh, exemption. And we have to make lots of arguments as to why we should be tax exempt and, and, and all of that. But I've got friends in Europe that are shocked. Wait, wait, you don't pay any taxes? Your church doesn't pay any taxes? Boy, in Europe, in fact, everybody is taxed, and then part of it goes back to the Roman uh, Catholic Church and the Evangelical, uh, the Evangelical Lutheran Church. But if you're anything else, no, you just pay taxes. You don't get any back for your church. And they're like, what? No way, you lucky ducks. We have a bunch of those things because of the graciousness of our government so, so far, and we may lose them, and I would hate to lose them, but... It won't affect that every single kid that comes to Jesus, that comes to Camp Shamino, is going to hear about Jesus. It doesn't change the fact that my friends that I work on different community projects with are going to hear from me about Jesus. So what's the conclusion? Well, I think the conclusion is this that you and I have got to do everything that we do in the light of the gospel, the good news. And if my friends don't know the good news from my lips, well, then maybe I don't know the good news either. Because Jesus changed my life. And I so badly want you to know it. Well, yeah, but heard there's important things. That, yeah, I know, I know, but none of it compared to this. So our conclusion is maybe three, threefold. Number one, keep the gospel the main thing. Keep the gospel the main thing. It's got to be all about this. Number two, keep perspective. Keep perspective. Uh, there's some governments, you know, as we've done, camps around the world. There are some governments that make it really, really hard. But somehow, some way, those countries where it's hardest, things seem to be growing the most. Keep perspective. And then number three, maybe along those same lines, remember that governments come and go. God's kingdom lasts forever. If God tarries long, oh, this is going to be hard. If God tarries long enough, there won't be a United States of America. I mean, why would we even assume that? 
Nothing on this side of eternity lasts forever. If God tarries long enough, all of that's going to change. Governments come and go, but God's kingdom lasts forever. And I get to start living in that kingdom now. That kingdom is here. It's a kingdom that's completely different from anything you've ever been part of. You want to be first, you got to be last. You want to be the greatest, you got to be the servant of all. You want to find your life, you got to lose it. Just like our Savior. That kingdom can start now. And when you step into it, I mean, that's what, what the New Testament is all about. Jesus tells his disciples, the last thing he tells them is about the kingdom. The book of Acts begins with Jesus and the kingdom is what the apostles taught about. The book of Acts closes. In fact, the last sentence says that they went about teaching Jesus and the kingdom. Kingdom of God is here. It lasts forever. I want a good earthly kingdom. I really, really do. But the real kingdom is here now. I'm never going to lose it. And I want my friends to know about it. So they can enter into it as well. And then when we celebrate Easter, we'll be able to celebrate knowing that that's what it's all about. Why Jesus died for me, who did not deserve it. I have no right to expect that the God of creation would die for me. And then on Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead. And the Apostle Paul says that if that isn't true, we are the most stupid people on the planet. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about Jesus. And I don't want anything else to get in the way of that because I want to see the Savior behind it. Let's pray. Father, I apologize for all the times that I've put things in front of you. Jesus, you know where we live. You know what we live through. You know our needs. But help me never to get bogged down in those, but to always understand that it's all about you. And that's good news. That the kingdom of God is here. Help me celebrate it, Jesus. Amen.